Hello and welcome to Finding the Glitter in the Gold, a Middle Earth and J.R.R. Tolkien chat podcast. I'm Hannah. And I'm Zoe. And we, as always, are discussing the works of John Ronald Rayul Tolkien, who was writing stories that were set in Middle Earth uh, from 1937, when he was 45, up until his death in 1973, when he still had not made an internally consistent narrative. So any little mistakes we make with the minutiae of these series or any wholesale throwing out of canon is just because we are making like J.R.R. Tolkien and making shit up as we go along. Uh, today we are getting a wonderful treat that I didn't even realize I needed until I thought about it for a second. <laughs> I realized I had never really questioned where the rings in Lord of the Rings came from. They go to certain people and there's a whole thing at the beginning of the movie where they're like, oh, he made the rings as gifts for these people. But I don't know uh, much about any of that. Well, it's a good thing you asked because the movies are like partly correct and partly not correct as they are wont to do. So I will happily teach you the ways of the making of the rings. So I can make some rings of my own? I mean, they probably won't have magical powers and you probably need a forge and maybe a lot of lava, but <laughs> sure. We're kind of near some volcanoes, non-active ones currently, but... St. Helens kind of active-ish? Ish. I'll just go to Hawaii, you know. Yeah, yeah. Let's just, it's an excuse to go to Hawaii. We're actually going to forge some <laughs> magical evil rings. And we could use them for good, like the elves. Did, well, I'll learn, I yes, guess. Yes, you will learn. So, <laughs> nothing, without that, without anything more, let's dive right in to lava. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so Sauron started to corrupt the elves in the second age, year 1200. He couldn't corrupt Elrond or his kin, but he influenced the elven smiths of a region called Eregion, which is, you know, really, really creative because it's basically region with an E in the front of it. <laughs> Good job, guys. Good job, Tolkien. Um, but the smiths were called the Gwaith i uh, Myrdein. They were of Noldor descent, and they wanted to experience the same splendors as those who had gone to Valinor, and they wanted to see their lands prosper and continue on for as long as they could. Um, so Sauron presented himself as Anatar, a emissary of the Valar, in order to gain their trust and tempted the elves by offering them knowledge that would change Middle-earth so that they, they could keep things pretty and happy as they wanted. So as Anatar, he taught the smiths how to craft the rings, which would give the wearer power over others. And they, so they had a lot of different times they like tried to make these rings and it didn't work. So there was a bunch of rings that they kind of just forgot about and no one knows where they're at. And then until they figured out how to make the rings. So in second age, 1500, the first 16 rings were created. So he was there for 300 years? Yeah. Just kind of chilling? Yeah. I mean, they're all immortal, so time doesn't really matter. He was just being nice to them for 300 years, though. He wanted something from them, and he was willing to do it. The time scales on these things are absolutely wild. Well, I mean, I'm sure there was a lot of other history happening, and then Tolkien was like, well, I'll just make this history work. Who cares okay. if it's 300 years? But I don't know. I would have to look into what else happened in those 300 years. I just care about but, the rings right now. Yeah. But yes, 300 years later, uh, <laughs> Sauron finally left the region of Eregion, and then Celebrimbor, who was one of the elves who had been working with him, crafted the three elven rings in about 1590. The three rings were never touched by Sauron, 
but because their forging relied on some of the same arts as the other 16, they were in a lesser extent bound to the one ring. Uh, so the three rings, Sauron never knew where they were, like he never, he knew they were created, but he never knew where they ended up. Sauron then created the one ring in second age 1600, and its sole purpose was to have power over all of the other rings. Uh, in speaking the spell to finish the making of the one, and, uh, and when he put it on, the elves felt his power and they knew that he had been betrayed, um, because the one ring basically gave you control over anybody else wearing the other rings. So the elves were like, oh, we can tell he's trying to control us. Take that shit off. Oh, hey, look, he doesn't have control over us. The one ring to rule them all and in the darkness bind them. Correct. So they refused to use the rings after that, which I've always kind of been intrigued by, because if it had power over him, then why did Elrond and Galadriel and Gandalf all wear them? But at that point, I guess Sauron didn't know where they were, and he no longer had the one ring, so I guess they could wear them without worry. Also, they looked pretty. They were really pretty. Um, they had pretty names, too. They were called Narya, which is the Ring of Fire, Nenya, the Ring of Water, and Vivya, the Ring of Air. I can only guess that the Ya is ring in the Elvish oh. because they all have the same suffix. That makes sense. And maybe they don't have articles. Anyway, I'm going to turn off the linguistic person in my brain right now. Uh, rings, right. Um, so they removed their rings, right? They were freaked out and they were really angry. They knew they'd been betrayed. So they took them off and then Sauron was like, fuck you, I want those rings. And so he tried to get them back and started a war against the elves. And the elves fought really bravely, except that their entire region of Aregion was destroyed. So the elves, you know, they survived, but the region decimated. Uh, Kalimbrimbor managed to save the rings and gave them to Galadriel, Gilgalad, and Círdan. At that point, Sauron took the nine rings from Kalimbrimbor and tortured him for information, uh, but Kalimbrimbor only told Sauron of the whereabouts of the seven rings. So, so all these rings were made around the same time by Sauron, except for the elvish rings? Sauron used the elves. Kalimbrimbor is one of the elven smiths that he kind of used to help him make the rings. So Sauron was like, I have this amount of knowledge, but the elven smiths have a lot of knowledge about how to work metal and imbue metal with spells and power. So if I use their skills and then feed them this information about how to like put a certain kind of power into the ring, well, they think that it's gonna make everything pretty and prosperous. Really, it's evil and my intentions are bad. Okay. So there were the, so there were the 16 rings, which got divided into nine and seven. Seven were given to dwarf lords and nine were given to men, lords of men. Mm-hmm. And so for the seven rings, Sauron tried to find them. Again, he tortured Kalimbrimbor and found a, like where they were, and then he tried to go get them, but couldn't find them. Um, four were lost to dragons, and then he got three of them over the course of the years. But it took him a while. The dragons just like took the rings and he couldn't get them back? Uh, dragon fire will melt rings of power. Oh. Yep. Hmm. This is kind of like Horcruxy. Where it's like, oh, some special stuff will get rid of the magic rings. Right. And then I think at one point in, maybe it wasn't explicitly stated in like Rivendell with Elrond and the meeting of everybody in the fellowship, but they're like, why can't we just go have a dragon destroy the one ring? And they were like, there are no dragons left with, with fire strong enough to melt the one. Because, you know, they'd killed them all off at that point. We got to talk about dragons at some point too. I know we really do. Okay. 
Okay. So some interesting facts about the seven. So the rings were meant to give Sauron dominion uh, over whoever wears them and then also like kind of slowly corrupt the the wearer much like it did for the ring rants but the dwarves were not corrupted in the same way they became very very greedy and like quarreled amongst each other to get gold and make treasure hordes and that kind of brought the dragons because the dragons were like "Ooh, treasure let's go there and so then they had to fight the dragons which is how the rings got melted but they never actually succumbed to sauron's dominion and they never became wraith-like or one of the theories behind that is Dwarves were made hardy, like they made them very hardy folk of rock, and so they were naturally resistant to their power. I mean, they're a whole other race, obviously, but also they were made by a whole other one of the Valar, right? Right, precisely. They were made by Eule out of mountains. So maybe like Sauron didn't have the specs on dwarves. He was like, I don't know how they work. Right, they're not like the same kind of natural born in the way that the elves or men were just kind of popped up from the ground. Yes, natural born, yes. Like corn. I mean, natural born. Yeah. <laughs> like corn, but not corn porn. Anyway. <laughs> so the remaining nine rings were given to lords of men who wanted to increase their power and control over others. And they became sorcerers and kings in their lifetime and gained great longevity. But slowly they faded into the Nazgul, the ring raids, and were dominated by Sauron's will, which says a lot about, you know, the willpower of men which is one of Tolkien's favorite themes of how men are rather weak-willed, but you know. Yeah. So with the destruction of the One Ring, the other rings became freed of its control and they may have lost their powers altogether. Oh, so it was like corrupting people, but it also was lending them that power. Precisely. I mean, that's why Bilbo suddenly started to age really, really quickly when he no longer had the One Ring Mm. is because he lost the connection to it, wasn't wearing it anymore, and so he didn't received the benefits of the longevity and then suddenly was really really old that was a spooky one yeah so the rings were all made with certain properties they had been created by the elves to help preserve uh, the land of Eregion. so then they were naturally imbued with powers to prevent and decelerate decay and change hence why people lived a lot longer when they bore them the rings also increased the bearers natural gifts which made it seem as though they had magical powers. So I thought that was kind of interesting of how like the rings didn't necessarily give the bearer natural powers. It just kind of accentuated whatever gifts they had. It's very, it's like a subtle distinction. It feels like the same sort of thing that we were talking about when we were talking about Tolkien's philosophy about good and evil, about how like evil is a corruption it's not a creation and in this case it's not creating any magic it's just emphasizing it so in this case good is emphasized in a person until it becomes evil i guess if you're the well because the, the rings are also corrupting you at the same time yes so it's like it's kind of both well it's kind of the galadriel scene where she's like i would be beautiful and terrible but then she just she rejects that So it's a rejection of having that kind of power and also that kind of corrupting influence. Like you can't have one, not the other. Right. Um, So the one, the seven, and the nine all had the ability to tap into the unseen at different degrees. And the one could completely shift the wearer to the spirit world, rendering the material body invisible to mortals. Which is also cool that they aren't actually invisible. It's just Tolkien's concept of the seen and the unseen. Um, And I did a little bit 
other, you know, sleuthing on that because I didn't realize that there was this concept of uh, in Arda, everything is categorized as seen or unseen, and the unseen objects are of the spirit world that belong to what might seem like magic, and that's part of what is Tolkien's concept of magic is this unseen spirit world. That's so cool, and probably could have had a very cool influence on linguistics and like the concept of something that's there but intangible or unseeable but still present. Like, ooh. Totally. It kind of reminds me of a lot of Irish um, language that is very poetic and has a lot of plays on words and a lot of these like double meanings and double entendres within their language. How so? Like I was listening to a podcast by this guy who um, grew up speaking both Irish and English. And he says that there's a phrase in Irish that in English you would just say, oh, to trust somebody. But in Irish, the literal translation is, you are the place that I stand when my, on the day that my feet are sore from walking. Oh, that's kind of nice and also yeah. kind of weird. Kind of nice, kind of weird, but also this like... Step on me. <laughs> I trust you, step on me. <laughs> uh, and then how that can also be personal. So it can be like either I am like... I am within myself, like I am in my own feet and my own shoes and I take care of myself, but it can also literally be, I'm putting my trust into something else. When I am too tired to stand on my own, I stand on you. Hmm. Like the scene, the unseen, I don't know. It just, in terms of linguistics, it reminds me of that. Yeah. So things in the realm of the unseen are neither good nor bad and contain both dark and bright spiritual beings. So the Maiar... Um, from Valar can be in the realm of the unseen, but then the ring raids are also only actually like visible to the naked eye in the realm of the unseen. I mean, you can see them in the mortal plane too. But you, you can only see them in the mortal plane because they have robes, because they have clothed themselves. Like if you were to take those robes off of them, there would Get be no naked. body. Yeah, if you got, if you got naked. <laughs> completely bare butt naked <laughs> there'd be no physical body you'd be like what the what the, the foot the, what the, there's nothing there mm. they would seem invisible mm-hmm. okay i'm thinking about this in terms of D stuff there's the ethereal plane that you can blink to for a mm-hmm. bit i'm picturing it that way yeah probably i don't know D, but probably similar yeah um and this is also why ring rays would slowly fade and why they talked about Frodo fading when he got stabbed by the ring wraith blade is because eventually the ring would sap away at you and you would just fade into the realm of unseen and just become completely invisible. Like the ring wraiths themselves. Yeah, and that's why the ring wraiths became invisible is because they had given in to the domination of Sauron and the power of the ring and they had been so corrupted that it just kind of slowly ate away at them and they faded. So they still like literally existed but you couldn't see them. They were just in the realm of the unseen. Interesting. I was wondering for a second there, if you stop having a physical presence in the physical world, if you have the ring on, and then I remember that Gollum like straight up bites off Frodo's finger by climbing on him while he's invisible. So no. And there's all the scenes of like Frodo, like running into things when he's invisible and you just see the bushes moving, right? True. Yeah. So yeah. You're, you still have a presence as long as you aren't like totally corrupted well even if, even if you're totally corrupted you still there's a, still a material 
body mm-hmm. in the real world it's just you can't the mortals can't see it that's why the ring rates could put robes on them is they still had a physical body that was just invisible yeah okay that makes sense which when frodo that's interesting so when frodo had his like elven cloak and he put the ring on everything went invisible mm-hmm. but then if you if he had like put the ring on and then you would put something else over him. Is that when you have a material body and you can have a robe? And the robe, that's like second robe doesn't disappear. Like where does the clothing come in that it doesn't just disappear with you and you can wear it around like the ring raids do? These are some good questions that I'm also curious about and I'm sure there's no answer to it. I'm picturing like the spiky clanky gauntlets too that they wore when they had the swords up and like. Yeah. You got the ring on under that. I don't know. Probably. The more you bundle, the harder it is to hide that stuff. The ring's like, I can only hide so much. My power is only so vast. I mean, it's very vast, but but it is, yeah. as, it is as big as my dick. Anyway, <laughs> the, th- the three elven rings did not make the wearer invisible, but the wearer could make the ring itself invisible. What? Um, hmm. That way people couldn't see it. Um, and it had the powers to heal and preserve whatever the person wearing it controlled. And that's part of the magic of Rivendell and Lothlorien and why they could remain protected from Sauron's control or his attack um, is because Elrond had one of the rings and he was protecting Rivendell from decay. And there's that point when Elrond's like, Sauron can't see us. He doesn't really know who's here, but he, we can't hold out for forever. It's part of why Lothlorien was so well-preserved it's fascinating that Tolkien's like concept of very, very powerful magic was so much about preventing change. I mean, I wonder if, if that had to do with World War I and just seeing everything so destroyed and maybe wishing that he had a way to keep, like, like he grew up in the countryside of England. So what would it be like to be in the countryside of France? And countrysides kind of all look the same to a certain degree. Like there's still a connection to it, even if it's not in your country. Mm-hmm. So, like, he's seeing all the thing, all the places around the Somme getting destroyed, and he's probably feeling a connection of some kind of, like, this is still rural, it's still a place connected to my heart. Like, I wish He was he- also in the Blitz from World War II before he wrote all of this. That's true. Yeah. So there's the desire to preserve the things that he loved. Yeah. So preserving people and preserving architecture and moments and nature and all that kind of stuff yeah some interesting facts about the one ring um obviously it gave whoever mastered it perception and control of the thoughts of anyone wearing another ring but the wearer was also able to understand languages they could not actually speak especially the black tongue of sauron or mordor battlefish ring i know right i'm like i kind of want that just for that property That'd be cool. That's so useful. Damn. You, couldn't, you couldn't speak it yourself, but you could understand. Yeah. Oh, damn. Um, and then in terms, like, again, to talk about or in tandem with the idea of evil and morality, um, any bearer, anyone who had the One Ring could use its power, but it would take a lot of knowledge and determination and skill to bind it to the wearer's will, because uh, at the same time, the ring would try to corrupt the heart of the wearer. So no matter what your intention was, you would always be fighting the corruptive influence of the ring. So again, anything that is not good just contributes to evil and evil as a corruptive power. Yeah, nothing good can come from something that had evil origins. 
yeah, it would just always be corrupted. Mm-hmm. So I was I was poking around on some Tumblr stuff to try and see if there was anything that Tumblr said about the rings of power. Uh, there was nothing terribly funny per se. A couple things, but there was. <laughs> I found this hilarious because you know our disclaimer is always whatever inconsistencies there might be. We're just kind of making as J.R.R. Tolkien. And so I found from askmiddleearth.tumblr.com this little gem. It's interesting to note that among Durin's folk, it is told that the ring given to Durin III, then King in Moria, was actually given to him directly by Celebrimbor and not by Anatar slash Sauron. There's some logic to this, as Celebrimbor had a very strong relationship with the dwarves of Moria. However, the Silmarillion states that Celebrimbor gave Sauron all seven rings. So, I guess it's up to you to decide if it was after Celebrimbor finished the rings that he realized Sauron was Sauron and therefore evil. So basically, who actually gave the rings to the dwarves? There's inconsistencies in Tolkien's narrative itself. Yeah, that makes sense. It's hard to keep track of these little details like this. But it's Tolkien. He had so many little details that he did keep track of. Sure. I mean, he had his priorities and most of them were linguistic. Right. It was always about the language. And names. I don't know how he kept all these names straight. Yeah, I don't either. I would have to write it all down. Yeah. I also thought it kind of interesting that Círdan, who was the, um, uh, he lived in the Grey Havens, and he uh, is the oldest elf we know of in Middle Earth. He had one of them. It was Celebrimbor who distributed them, but Círdan had one of them. Mm -hmm. And it said that during the Third Age, when the Istari arrived in Middle Earth, Círdan secretly gave his ring to Gandalf. Though he knew Saruman was actually the leader of the Istari, he believed Gandalf to be the greater and better, and foresaw that he would need the ring's help in his upcoming missions. I love how everyone is just like, Saruman's gonna turn into a fucking dick? Saruman. Saruman's gonna turn into a fucking dick? But, (laughs) and we trust Gandalf more, but we kind of have to be underhanded about it, but here, we're gonna give Gandalf all the goods. Nice. Yeah. Gandalf was just set up to succeed. He really was, even though he didn't want that power. Uh, The other wonderful thing I found on Tumblr or technically it was Pinterest, and it looks like a snap, a screenshot of something from Tumblr. From, it happens a lot. Uh, the chicken is not amused, and Billywick and Daverdad saying, the entire Lord of the Rings from the Rings perspective. Hand, hand, river, dirt, golem, hobbits. Pockets, pockets, pockets. Finger, envelope, fire. Hand, neck, 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 neck. Finger, hobbits, neck, neck. Neck, 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 neck. Pocket, finger, teeth, lava. <laughs> and then uh, the chicken is not amused, goes, it feels like I just saw the entire trilogy. <laughs> love a good, love it a new, fresh perspective on an old story, you know? When you, when you can put 1,400 words into like 20. 1,400 words, so there was far no, more sorry. than 1,400 Four- words. <laughs> 1,400 pages of words okay. into a sentence. I was like, so I could write no. 1,400 words in a day. No, sorry. 1,400 pages. My trilogy is approximately 1,400 pages of text, oh. not including the appendices. Yeah, and we all need to include the appendices. That's a lot of pages. That's too many pages. Apparently all this crazy shit happens in the, in the appendices. That's still blowing my mind. 
how much yeah, stuff you learn so much in the appendices. Why did he not? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, at the very least, he put the appendices in so you could kind of go through it and learn all of it. Yeah, I just, what is the point of an appendix if it's actually just an epilogue that goes on for another, I don't know, 800 pages? And it's not all just epilogue. It's also languages and the history of the things. And sure. it also tells you how many kids Samwise Gamgee had. And So important. I know. They were like, I think there was one named Goldilocks, which I thought was hilarious. Tolkien. Like, Tolkien, that's a terrible name. That's not a good name. <laughs> And she had gold hair. If you asked him, he'd probably be like, well, it's from the Westron, and I just directly translated it. Or he'd be like, actually, in Beowulf, there was someone named Goldilocks, but it was Goldilockshaw. <laughs> That's Sorry. how old the English works. <laughs> old English. Sorry, Enjoy, Kate. Kate. Enjoy. <laughs> but actually, Kate, how would you say Goldilocks in yeah. old English? Thanks. Okay. Yeah, let us know. I mean, Kate can text us because she knows who we are. But uh, <laughs> I did want to point out that I did get us a, a Gmail account. So if you yourself would like to email us and say we're doing a great job or tell us some stuff that we should do an episode about, uh, we are at glitterinthegold at gmail.com. Sneak that plug in there. I love um, it. One thing that I did find on Tumblr for this episode <laughs> is from a conversation with Miss Molly etc at tumblr.com Swill Marillion and <laughs> it's a good name uh PO-13 at tumblr.com shaylet.tumblr.com and manneth985 there's some other people thrown in here as well but they have kind of my favorite little points to make in this particular thread. So Miss Molly, et cetera, starts it off with, everyone who wears the one ring in Lord of the Rings starts to refer to it as my precious. And Tolkien's right that it's super creepy. But what I really love is that everybody does it, which says to me that this super powerful, scary, evil, sentient ring has a favorite pet name and just like will not respond to anything else. <laughs> then there's some tags here where it says, look, Maron is a little stuck on ye old days. Oh, actually, hold up, hold up. Maron is derived from Myra, which means admirable slash precious. The little bit of his soul that's trapped in the ring compels people to call him by his true name, but it just gets translated in the Red Book as precious because it was unknown to the author of the book at that Sauron once went by a previous name. Hmm. That's just spitballing theories there. Um, this was from the tags of PO13, who said, look, I'm just saying, even as educated as Frodo is, would he really know the true name of Sauron? Like, shit, if any of the elves left in Middle-earth by the time the events of Lord of the Rings actually happen, only Curidan and Galadriel are old enough to remember that Sauron existed in Valinor. But I know what his name was. So to everyone in Middle-earth, he's always been Sauron, and there's no connection to Precious in any linguistic sense, but Myron remembers. <laughs> Swell Marillion, since you love them so much, they say, no, you're 100% right. No one would know, and it wouldn't make sense to anyone except maybe Gandalf. But that shredded little piece of Sauron's soul remembers. I love that Shaylet later on says, so what you're saying is, there's a tiny piece of Sauron's soul tucked smug into the ring, just going around introducing itself as, I'm baby. <laughs> Nobody puts baby in the fucking volcano. No one puts baby in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> and then Maneth985 says, are you telling me Sauron's previous name was Precious? And because part of his soul is bound to the ring, it compels people who bear it to 
say my precious and no one in middle earth caught that during the second age i'm loving it <laughs> oh i love it so much tumblr is fucking incredible <laughs> this is why tum this is why tumble this is why we put this in the show and at all <laughs> I also didn't know that that was his name beforehand. And I also just love that it is translated from an admirable slash precious. And I bet you that Tolkien did that on purpose because he translated everything like three times just to make it work. Yeah. We threw shade here about him um, not remembering small details, but uh, this is the smallest detail of all that he just invented for himself. Well, we also said that he didn't res- remember any small deals except for the linguistic ones. So we're right. He only remembers the linguistic details. This reinforces it, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, gosh. We already talked about this to death, so we don't have to do it very much. But I did want to remind everybody of that wonderful time where we talked about Ents and we were like, hey, you know how there's a missing prime number in this <laughs> uh, series of rings? <laughs> And we don't have five rings to the ant lords, but then it was like then, maybe we did give it to the ant lords, and their bark grew over it. And then Sauron was so embarrassed that he said, "We're gonna just forget this ever happened." And then maybe he kidnapped all the ant wives. I don't know. He seems like a dick. I mean, or he was the one who just burned the region. Because I wonder. Okay, so I should look at a map of where Eregion was, but I kind of wonder if the region of Eregion, and I don't know if this actually works in terms of the timeline, this is just me spouting my mouth off, but um, maybe the Entwives had gone to harvest and have their orchards, and then there was that big war with the elves when the region of Eregion was destroyed, and so the Entwives maybe got destroyed in the war of the elves versus Sauron. That would be a big bummer. I'm just trying to think of like what region this might be across the river Anduin that was then destroyed and they all were lost. Yeah. But I don't know if the time period works. I mean, the time period is absolutely huge and crazy to me. The time period's just massive. But I was wondering if maybe if they and wives go off on their little sabbatical, which I picture as like some sort of Dionysian Bakken revelry thing, because that's kind of fun for me to picture. Um, they went off, but they went off for like hundreds of years because time moves differently for tree people. And then Regian got destroyed and they came back and like, they, but they couldn't come back because they didn't know where anything was. Hmm. So it's not that the ants lost them. It's that they lost their way because of this massive war. And maybe because they were just drinking a lot of wine. Yes. And trees, as we all know, get very drunk. <laughs> I mean, you have so much vasculature. It's true. Fun fact, did you know that the amount of wood on the tips of the twigs, like the peripheral branches of, the, of trees, is the same as what's in the volume of the trunk of a tree? What? Yeah, there's a fancy name for it. I forget the name right now, but I was talking about this. But hmm. yeah, the volume of all the tips of the branches is the same as the volume of the trunk. And we have the same thing um, as, like, the... the Veins? The, yeah, the aorta is the same volume as the tiny little veins at the very periphery of our digits. All um, combined, I assume. All combined, because it's for um, blood pressure. So it can, it can push blood all the way to the outer digits. 
and not lose blood pressure. All the way to your extremities. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. I guess I never thought about the fact that my fingers have the same volume as my heart, but I suppose that makes sense. Yeah. But then it's cool that like the same thing that works for humans is uh, applicable to trees and tree vasculature. Yeah. I love how we got here from talking about the rings. We're at tree vasculature. I am part of the problem. You know what? Leave it in. Leave it in. It's great. <laughs> Everyone needs to know about tree vasculature. It's, it's extremely important and relevant to everything. So the fact that maybe somewhere floating in the vasculature of trees, there are five rings that no longer have any power because the one ring was destroyed. So they're just kind of floating around going. Beautiful. That's poetry right there. See, I brought it all together. It's all back together. I have now learned about the creation of the, what is it? Fort? Wait, I can't do math in my head. There were 20 rings total if you include the one. Oh, dang. Okay, nice round number there, Tolkien. I see what you did. Mm-hmm. Didn't want to sneak a 25 in there. Maybe that's why they're missing the five. Could be. 25 is not a bad number, though. Quarter of a century. Yeah. We, yeah. Let's get into some numerology of Tolkien. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it existed. Oh, God. I don't want to. I don't. Don't research that. <laughs> I won't. No one tell us to research that, please. No, we will not do numerology of Tolkien. Uh, I did want to thank all of you for listening to us on this episode of Finding the Glitter and the Golds. Um, you can find us on Anchor. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, and Overcast currently. And any of those apps where you get our podcast, it would be awesome if you could like us, rate us, write us a review, subscribe, promote us to your friends. Um, you can also now get in touch with us on our Gmail account, glitterinthegold at gmail.com. Um, we have a special secret episode that we recorded last time that we met and it is extremely not safe for work. So if you know us in real life and are not related to us by blood, you can contact us and I will send you a link of how you can listen to that one because we're very proud of it. We like it. We also uh, talk about elf genitalia the entire time and um, that's difficult. Corpus cavernosum! (laughs) We learned some great things about Venus return and all this kind of stuff. It was very fun, but it is also uh, perhaps not what we want our parents to hear. Yes. So... Um, reach out. I feel like I feel like now, if anybody, any of my parents are listening to this, they're going to be thinking it's worse than it actually is. It's pretty bad, though. <laughs> uh, so anyway, you can contact us at that Gmail again, glitterinthegold at gmail dot com, and again, send us uh, suggestions. We have plenty to work off of right now, but. You know, we'd like to engage with our listeners who we probably all know personally. (laughs) But yeah, thank you so much for listening. See you on the Shire side, folks.